Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the fourth installment of Snowflake 33. I'm your host, Mike Bostwick, the owner of Pipe Choir Records, a fully independent record label, and the place where all of your dreams can come true. In my first couple of installments of Snowflake 33, I had floated the idea of letting you guys ask me some questions, and I want to say thank you to all of the people who submitted questions. The initial Snowflake 33 experiment had concluded, so what I've decided to do is give you a couple stories in this episode. They're short, but they're good stories, so they should be interesting to you. I won't bore you to death, at least I'll try not to. In the next episode, episode 5, I'll give you the third story. So, without further ado, just sit back and listen to what I'm going to say, and, uh... Hopefully you'll enjoy it. Okay, so the first story that I'm going to tell you is a story about my father. And I guess I could start by saying that my father and I have a really good relationship. Uh, We get along very well. Uh, We both love to laugh. I think I've inherited my sense of humor from him. And we we have a very similar sense of humor. So we laugh quite a bit when we talk to each other. In fact, it's really kind of how we communicate. And uh, even though he lives far away and most of our communication is by phone, uh, it's it's a seamless relationship. Um, My father is a very, very good man. He's very modest. He's very meek. He's very decent. He's very old school. Uh, he's He's a man of few words. Uh, He's a spiritual man. Um, He's uh, well-humored and loved by many, many people. He's loved by everyone who meets him because, honestly, like he just does not have an enemy in the world. I've always said this, that if somebody has a problem with him, it's that person who has the problem because my father is just the most laid-back, quiet easygoing, gentle man that I've ever met. He's also the most honest man I've ever met, and he's the most decent man that I've ever met. He's also the hardest working man that I've ever met. And his work ethic is uh, impeccable, and his, his character is reflected in his work ethic. Okay. Ever since I can remember, he worked at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport in Cleveland, Ohio. He worked on a crew of men that were responsible for the lighting on the runway and that system and making sure that it was working at all times. Obviously, as an airport, you need lights to land airplanes. Um, And one of the things that I remember about my father working was, one, he never... Uh, worked anywhere else. It was the only job that he had as far as I can remember. So that's something I guess that's worth noting, especially now in the age of, you know, layoffs and people moving from job to job and things like that. Yeah, one job, 35 years. Uh, He worked good for them. They respected him. And it was 35 years. Now, he's retired now. He's been retired for about 
a little over 10 years now. And um, he's enjoying his retirement, believe me. But uh, back in the day when I was younger, you know, I I remember uh, many times that my father would get called in to the airport at like two in the morning or four in the morning because there was some kind of breakdown uh, with the lighting on the runway. You know, somebody would have to come in and remedy the problem. And uh, my father was the kind of guy that they would call first because he never said no. Uh, he, he would just suit up really, you know, quietly get his his work gear on and get in the car no matter how bad it was outside because you know if something's wrong at the airport it's usually when there's extreme weather of some kind like a a blizzard or you know whatever some kind of major weather event and it was never you know during work hours it was always in the middle of the night so my father would get the call and he would go and and I kind of remember him and my mom uh Kind of, it was like a, a point of contention between them. And my parents, like, never fought, okay? They, they still don't. They're just, they just don't fight with each other. Never have. And, um, but my mom would kind of get, like, upset with them because, they, you know, oh, why don't they call someone else? You know, why don't you say no this time? Just, just you stay home and let someone else go in. And my father just would not want to hear it. He would just, he would get his stuff on and he would go. I never asked him why he did it that way. I would imagine it probably had something to do with there were these younger guys with younger kids and he wanted them to stay home with their kids while he went in. That was that would probably, knowing my father, that would be like his thinking, okay? That's the kind of guy he is. Um, always thinking of the next person, you know, at all times. Um, I think that kind of like... That kind of says a lot about my dad, okay? That's the, that's the kind of guy he was. His, his work wasn't necessarily a passion, but it was something that he had a very strong sense of service and a sense of duty and a sense of responsibility about. Um, another thing that I should mention about my dad is uh, how well he got along with the people that he worked with. And uh, he had many friendships uh, outside of work with his co-workers uh, they were they were uh, people who would come to our house so I you know I had a chance to meet these guys that my dad worked with and they were they were good guys but uh, one thing that I remember is that uh, you know my father is the kind of guy who's very meticulous when he works on something uh, he has a tendency to move slowly and to work slowly and this is something that's even bothered me at times like when we would be doing something together he would move very slowly but you know I eventually learned that's the way to do things but while he was at work this had become kind of like a a point of contention with the guys that he worked with that there were these younger guys that wanted to work faster and get in and get out and get it over with. And they would get frustrated with my dad because he would, he would work very slowly and meticulously. Now, the reason that I mentioned that and the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, my father would do things with, quote, love. You know, it's a term that probably most of you are familiar with. 
where I come from, it's something that I'm very familiar with, that you, you do something with love. You do it with care. You don't slap it together. You, you, you do it right, and you do it right the first time. And uh, the net result of that in my father's life at work was, you know, these younger guys would frequently have to go back and redo what they had done incorrectly the first time. And my father very seldom ever had to go back and redo something that he had done. So, you know, take from that whatever you want. But what I get from that is that there's, there's a payoff and there's, a, there's merit in taking your time and doing something right the first time. I know that's like a cliche, but it's a practical approach to your work. Now, another thing you need to know about my dad is that not only is he all these great things, okay, but quietly, silently, my father is actually an unsung genius. And that's a really inflated statement. I realize that, but hear me out. This is a pretty cool story. And this is where the story really starts to get interesting, okay? Now, before I was born, my father was, you know, a young electrician working at the airport. And he had built this ohms tester, which was a common device used by electrical workers at that time. Um, my, my father had built a, a newer version of one, a refined uh, version of the ohms tester that they started to use where he worked. And uh, so I remember hearing about that when I was a kid. Now, later on, and this is probably when I was about maybe 18 years old, my father uh, was working at the airport and there was a problem that they were having on the airstrip. It was something that was uh, like a recurring problem. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but it was uh, a nuisance and it was, a, it was a dangerous problem and it required a lot of time and effort to, you know, every time this, this thing would happen, they had to fix it and do whatever. Okay, so you got that. Well, my father had come up with this idea of how to fix this problem, how to remedy this problem. And he, you know, kind of worked it out in his head, like whatever spare time he could find at work or probably some spare time at home. You know, he, he got it all worked out and he presented it to the management at the airport and they gave him approval to go ahead and build it and to go right ahead and plug it right into their system. And so he built it. And it was, uh, at first it was very crude it was uh, unrefined. It was not meant to be the finished product. It was just a prototype. And I know this because he took me to see it. And, you know, he takes me into this room, this huge room, like a warehouse, filled with all this equipment and just electronic gadgets everywhere. And in the middle of this room is this dolly with this board bolted to it and all these little like components on this piece of wood and these wires coming out of it and hooked into this huge system and 
it was almost laughable. I mean, it was it looked that out of place and like that simple. And he referred to it as the Bosnobber. And that's kind of like a little tip of the hat to his sense of humor. I mean, his nickname at work was Boz, you know, short for Bostwick. And he kind of rolled that in to this device that he had built. Anyway, he built it and it went online and it worked so well solving this problem that they were having that it was never turned off even after he retired. And more importantly, people from other airports and airlines and even the military started to come in to see this gadget that my father had built and hooked up to the system at the airport. And my my father found himself at kind of like a crossroads where he could patent this idea that he had and make a lot of money. Or he could do what he chose to do, which was not patent it, not make any money, and allow anyone and everyone to use this device at their airport, on their airfield, on their airstrip. And, you know, that's what my father chose to do. Now, there are probably a lot of people who are hearing me talk right now, just like there were back then, who were kind of calling my dad an idiot, calling him a fool because he passed up the gravy train. He could have, he could have lived large off of that money from this device that he made. And I think it was something that kind of frustrated my dad about people. And the reason that I think that is because when I asked him about it, uh, this is maybe, you know, a year or two after this whole thing shook down, he seemed kind of like annoyed that I was asking. Like, it was a question he'd been asked a lot. He, he was tired of answering it. People didn't understand where he was coming from. <coughs> but that didn't really matter. What mattered at the end of the day was the work and the purpose that it served, not the money that he made or didn't make. You know, when, when I did ask my dad about why he, he didn't do it, his answer was, well, I worked for the airport and they were paying me to be there while I was working. And I came up with the idea while I was working. So he felt that it wouldn't be right to profit from that idea that he had come up with on their time. Now think about that. Pretty cool. I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. A, a very simple sense of decency and a very strong sense of duty and responsibility when it came to his work. That's something that I took away from that too. And my father got paid well. You know, we, we lived comfortably. But, you know, he certainly could have used the extra money. And that was not a motivating factor in this situation. Maybe it would be for everybody else, okay? But it wasn't for my dad. And it wasn't an act of philanthropy. Having known the man and talked to him about it, it was just a simple sense of goodwill and a simple sense of decency and just a, just a good man, just a good man, you know? And generous, you know, generous, but not with his money, 
necessarily. He was generous with his time and with his energy and with his brain and his ideas. He was generous with those things. And, you know, time is worth more than money. And it requires so much more effort or a whole different set of ideals uh, and sensibilities to give of one's self, to give of one's time. It's not hard to dole out money, especially if you have an abundance of it. It's harder to be generous with your time and your concern. And that was like the takeaway from this story with my dad. Yeah, that was the takeaway with that whole story. But uh, now there are many, many stories that I could share with you about my dad. And I probably will somewhere down the line in this Snowflake 33 thing, depending on what I'm talking about or whatever, what I'm trying to express. But for now, the, the second story that I want to talk to you about is about my mom. Now, my, my mother is a very unique woman. She's very spirited. She speaks her mind. She's strong-willed. And... It's kind of funny sometimes because my father is really an introvert and my mother is most definitely an extrovert and she keeps things interesting in my family. She kind of stirs things up, you know, like over the years, it's kind of cool, I guess, uh, that my relationship with my mom has always been good and we've never had a problem talking with each other and we've always talked very frank and very openly with each other and uh, it's an interesting relationship that way um, and it's gotten like better as I've gotten older like our conversations and our style of talking with each other is very open and just very clear and, and we don't mince words with each other and we get along really well and uh, it's always been that way and that's a cool thing that I can mention about my mom um, another cool thing that I can mention about my mom is that once a week for like 25 years, without fail, my mother would go down to the soup kitchen in inner city Cleveland and she would help out in the soup kitchen and she was militant about it. I mean, she would go every week, no matter if she was sick, no matter what was going on in our lives at the time, my mother would go, she'd do her thing, and she had made friends there and everything. It was social for her too, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom, so it was probably a good opportunity for her to get out of the domestic situation and kind of get into a work environment with other people and everything. And she really loved doing it. She still does it. In fact, as I'm recording this, she's probably there right now working. And also, it's worth mentioning here that just recently, my mother was presented with the Dorothy Day Award for her service at the soup kitchen. That's, um, you know, worth mentioning. Some props to my moms, you know. But when I was younger, every once in a while, like if I didn't have to go to school or I didn't have something going on, I would go with my mom. And... It was a really great opportunity for me. 
especially as a young guy, to one, like see my mom in action, you know, to see her really kind of doing her thing, but also because it gave me a chance to see like where the rubber meets the road when it comes to charity and giving of oneself. I mean, it was it was such an enriching environment, and I would help out. You know, I, and I didn't go very often, but I didn't really have to. It was, it was. A, I, I probably went, you know, I went a few times, but it was enough for me to absorb the experience and and to be familiar with it and to understand it and appreciate it. And it was also an opportunity for me to learn the simple truth that you get a good feeling from the act of giving. And that feeling that you get from giving is worth more than money. It's not about anything that's temporal. It's not about anything that's tangible. It's about invisible things. It's about human emotions and and things that can't be touched or felt, uh, at least not with your fingers. You know, it's about things that are invisible. But there's an aspect to this existence that we have that's based on the invisible. So I would like talk to the people that were there and stuff and help out. And I have no problem talking to people. I, I never have. I mean, I'll talk to anybody. I consider myself to be very approachable and easy to talk to. You know, I always have been. I, I inherit that from my mother. You know, this talking thing. Uh, I suppose it might be worth mentioning that, you know, growing up, like when I was younger, I had a friend who would always kind of bust my chops because whenever we went somewhere, which was frequently, he was like my best friend. Every time, without fail, if there was a freak walking around, and when I say freak, I mean it in the best way possible. Uh, and I'm sure that you know what I'm talking about. It's like you're waiting in line for a movie or you're waiting in line to get into a club or something and there's that lady or that guy that's kind of roaming around the line, not there to see the movie, not there to get into the club. They're just kind of there and they're walking around and, and people are like recoiling. They're like repelled by this person. They do their best to like avoid eye contact and, you know, that's what I mean by freak. Just saying. So, for some reason, every time the freaks, wherever we went, would be gravitating towards me. And, and my friend would just sit there laughing, you know, off to the side, waiting for me to finish this conversation with, you know, this this dude who's just, you know, out there. And, and I don't know, maybe birds of a feather or something, I don't know. But my friend would just sit there laughing. Every time we went somewhere, you know, whenever there was a freak around, they would always always be gravitating towards me. I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of a weird thing (laughs) to think about now. (laughs) Anyway, the point is this, is that I don't have a problem talking to anybody. And I love to talk to people and, you know... Obviously, I'm sitting here talking to you right now. So, anyway, 
You know, I was in this situation as a young guy where I would be sitting down with these people that were homeless and they were hungry and they were lonely and they were forgotten. And it was a great opportunity for me to just sit there and to eat with them and to talk with them. I mean, a lot of these people were probably mentally ill, but they weren't nasty people. They were gentle and they were grateful and they were lonely and they were humiliated and they were just very good people who had fallen through the cracks somehow. All they really needed more than, you know, food or money was just basic human contact and dignity and uh, I had no problem talking to these people and relating to them and it was it was wonderful it was a great experience my mother's sense of charity and her willingness to help other people out is something that made me very proud of her and it's an aspect of her personality that I really admire. And I think that it's something that I admire about her even more, the older that I get. And it's really just one aspect of her personality. I mean, there's so many things that she's taught me. By getting the opportunity to work with my mother and watch her roll her sleeves up and get in there and get things done you know it was a very different side of this person that I knew and it kind of was a revelation to me just exactly what she was capable of as a woman even though she was just my mom she also taught me through this whole soup kitchen experience how to love strangers it was a crash course in loving strangers, loving them, and asking for nothing in return. My mother taught me that. You know, I also think that it's worth noting here that when I was with my mother in that soup kitchen and we were all together in this situation together, one would imagine that it would be sad and depressing but everybody there was happy the homeless people the volunteers me, my mom everybody involved was happy and I think that's something that's worth noting that sense of collective joy that everyone felt in this soup kitchen. So the takeaway from all of that with my mom was this very clear understanding of the human condition and what loneliness can do to people, what humiliation can do to people, and what money or lack thereof can do to somebody. 
But it also showed me what treating someone with dignity and respect and charity can do for somebody. And, and what kind of role, what kind of responsibility we have towards each other. And, and how it's the responsibility of us to reach out to them and be something to them. I don't know what. For each person it's different. But we have a responsibility to be something to them. A ray of light in their world. Because a lot of these people couldn't help it. It was just a bad circumstance they found themselves in. And all they really needed was a second chance. And in my house, we're all about second chances. You know, I've heard it said before that we learn more from our parents by what they do than by what they say. And I think that that's partially true. Because over the years, you know, talking to my mother as much as I have, she's said a lot of things to me. And one of the things that she said that has always kind of stuck with me was, we wear on the outside what we are on the inside. And I think what she meant by that was that there are subtle clues to the state of one's being that are reflected in their physical appearance. Their happiness, their confidence, their self-doubt, their low self-opinion, their loneliness. You can see these things manifest in the way that they appear. And I've always remembered that. I remember that those people that I was meeting at that soup kitchen and sitting and talking with and eating with and relating to were just very tragic figures. They were just lonely. They just wanted human contact. Because, you know, in our culture, these people are the modern-day lepers. They're swept under the rug. They're forgotten. And not in my house. Not in my house. And not with my parents. Certainly not with my mother. And you know, I remember one time I was out with my dad and my brothers. And one of my brothers made an offhanded remark about some man who was within eyeshot of us, probably a janitor or something like that. And, you know, my brother made this offhanded remark about this man doing this work, and my father got angry. And he told all of us, right there on the spot, don't you ever make fun of somebody for the work that they're doing. If they're doing honest work, you have no right to mock them for what they're doing. If they weren't doing it, somebody else would have to do it. So don't ever make fun of somebody because of the work that they're doing. You have no right. And I've always remembered that too. 
My dad taught me that. Okay, whoa, time to calm down. It's a little bit longer than I wanted to go. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Sorry I got so intense. I'm going to calm down now. And just breathe a little bit. And maybe I'll get a sip of coffee because my throat's getting a little raspy. You don't mind, do you? One more sip. You don't mind. Of course you don't. Okay. Much better. So, there you go. There's my first two stories that I wanted to tell you. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed them. And I want to thank everybody for listening. If you've made it this far. Tune into the next episode if you want to hear the third one. It's a longer story and it's a pretty good story too. This is Mike Bostwick, your host, from Pipe Choir Records, the place where all of your dreams can come true. Signing off for now. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. <laughs>